But look at Luke 21, verse 12. We're going to read 12 through 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And I wanted to talk to you this morning about this. I don't know why exactly the Lord put this on my heart, but I know He did. And the persecution of a believer... The Bible says right here, Jesus said, and we're going to read a lot of other scriptures that go along with this, but the persecution of a believer, he says in verse 13, it shall turn to you for a testimony. That literally means it will turn as an occasion or an opportunity for a testimony of Jesus in your life. It's going to turn out to that. And the Bible says pretty much that every trial and every adversity that we go through can be for the glory of God. Every trial and adversity that we go through can turn to a testimony. Keep your spot there. I'm just going to read to you from James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That means trials there. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Okay? Every, every trial, and specifically here what we're talking about this morning is persecution. Okay? And there's different types of persecution for our faith. It could be just mild, where somebody gives you a little snicker and mocks you a little bit, ridicules you in the office place or at school or whatever into something more severe to where you martyred for the Lord and everything in between. But Jesus says that it's going to turn to, for a testimony for you. It's going to turn out for you as an opportunity to testify of the Lord. So every persecution can be given, uh, the Lord looked, given it in that way. Now, the word testimony, what it means here, and this is... Uh, all through the Bible, I mean, there's other, there's other times it's used in different ways, but many times it's used this way. It simply means a witness or to give evidence. And I like that, give evidence. It shall turn to a witness for you. It'll turn to an opportunity for you to give evidence of Jesus Amen. in your life and of this risen life. Um, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, this is him speaking of uh, Nicodemus, that I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. Your testimony and my testimony for the Lord is going to be only as powerful and genuine as is our relationship with the Lord. He, Jesus said, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. And then that what John said in 1 John chapter 1, that which we've seen with our eyes and we've heard with our ears and our hands have handled of the word of life, that's what we're declaring unto you. And our fellowship it was with him. If we walk in the light, is he in the, in the light and so forth? And so our testimony is going to be only as strong as our relationship with God. My testimony can't be Dee's testimony, okay? My testimony is going to be my testimony, who Christ is to me, what he is to me, the, the, my closeness to him, my nearness to him, my submission to him, his power working in and through my life. But every form of persecution is going to turn as an opportunity to give witness or testimony of the Lord. There's the testimony of Christ. I'm just listing some that are mentioned. The testimony of the Lord. There's a testimony unto people. There's a testimony among people. Paul said we had our testimony among you. Okay? There's a testimony against people. And I just wanted to read this uh, from Mark chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. When Jesus was sending his disciples out in his name for the first time, almost like a little trial run, a little trial run mission trip, okay? And he says, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when, you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. 
Verily I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So there's a testimony of the Lord, and there's also a testimony among people. It's all of the Lord, though. Yeah. There's a testimony against people, and that's going to be people that would harden their hearts <laughs> against the Lord. And it's a testimony against them. The Bible says there's a testimony in our conscience, the testimony of the Lord in our conscience, that we're, we're aware of of his reality and his truth and he is God and so forth. The Bible says in Revelation 15 that in heaven there's the tabernacle of testimony. It's all through the scriptures, but it's all through, it's all in regards to giving a witness for Christ, a witness to others, whether you're witnessing a saved people, you know, your witness to me is very important. My witness to you is important. Well, we typically think of witnesses going out amongst the lost people and sharing the gospel and it includes that. But there's a witness in your own family, with your spouse, you know what I'm saying, with your, your children, with the co-workers that you work with, uh, a witness of Christ in your life. It's all a, to be a witness that glorifies the, the Lord of a reality of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. This is not a, just a theology. This is not just a, as I said, a belief system. I'll let it include that. It is reality. Jesus is real. He's really the risen Son of God. He's really the Savior of the world that died and rose again the third day. He really is the judge of all the earth. He really is the one that every human being on the planet is going to stand before at some point and give account. Are they in Christ or outside of Christ? And we want to test, we want to give evidence of that. That's what the word means, to give evidence of his gospel of salvation and so forth. When, when the, uh, the Pharisees came to John the Baptist, okay, and they began to uh, to question him and saying, because uh, they heard him, they saw him baptized and heard him preaching and the Pharisees came out and all the crowds of the people were out there. They began to question, are you the Christ? Are you the Savior of the world? And I just want to read this scripture. Then they said unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. You know what he's saying in that little sentence? He said, it's not about me. They said, what do you say about yourself? And he said, he says, look, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Makes to prepare the way of the Lord. What is he doing? He's testifying to the Lord. And one thing that tells me in that little brief scripture, it's not about us. Amen. It's about Christ in us. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, Indian Amen. chief, whatever we are in life, it's about Jesus in us. It's about the Lord in us. John the Baptist, not a greater prophet than John, the Bible says, but he says, they said, what do you say of yourself? And basically what he's saying, it's not about me. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, just like the prophet said. And then he goes on to say later, I'm I must decrease and he must increase, right? Because it wasn't about him. And it isn't about you or me when we're going through this life. When we're persecuted or whatever's going on in our lives, it's about the Lord in us and having a clear, real testimony that really represents the Lord, okay, in, in our witness and in our testimony. So it says here in this scripture, if we're still in Luke chapter 21, we read 12 through, through 15, but specifically that he's dealing with in this whole chapter about end times persecution, okay? It's similar to Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, where the Lord's talking about, take heed no man deceive you and... And it's very similar to that. But what he's saying here, he says in verse 13, I want you to look at it again. It shall turn to you for a testimony. Three things I want to point out this morning about this passage. And we'll expound on them after I give the three points. But God will turn when we are persecuted, when Christians are persecuted for the name of Jesus or for our faith in the Lord. Not just for being just regular worldly persecution like our taxes went up and we can hardly afford it anymore or something like that. That happens to everybody, okay? But when we're persecuted specifically for our faith, and that's what Jesus was talking to his disciples about, he says it's going to turn to you for a testimony. It's going to turn to you. It's almost like it's given to you for an opportunity or an occasion for a testimony of the reality of Jesus. Okay, Paul said to the Philippians, the church, the Christians, he says, for unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, 
but to suffer for his name's sake. It's given to us. Think about that. It's not only given to you to believe in Jesus, but it's given you to suffer for his name's sake. That's a given. It's given to you. It's given to me. It's given to every believer to suffer for his name's sake. Jesus said, uh, Blessed are, are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall su- say all manner against you falsely for my name. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For so persecuted are they the prophets which were before you. Okay? So it is a given that this is going to be part of our life. And so when we're persecuted for righteousness, it's going to turn for a testimony for us. We need to see it that way. I need to see it that way. Instead of, oh no, I'm being persecuted. You understand what I'm saying? Again, in the workplace and wherever it may be, it, it is a persecution, but we have to see that it's given to us as an occasion. It's not just men being cruel to you. It's not just men on men. It's the God of this world and our Heavenly Father. It's the testimony of Christ that's being opposed. It's the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. That means the darkness couldn't overcome it is literally what that means. But it's going to oppose it at every, at every moment. The darkness is going to oppose and try to overcome the light at every turn. As soon as you open your mouth and begin to to publicly proclaim the, the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't know Him or love Him, the darkness is going to try to overcome that in some way. And so it's not just me against some men and they're doing mean things to me. They're persecuting me. You have to see it and know this is a God thing. This is bigger than me. There's something going on here that's beyond that. But the Bible says, and go on to read it, uh, for I will give you our Father, and says he, he says, the Lord says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. He's going to give us a mouth and wisdom. Think about that. The Lord will give us a mouth and wisdom. You know what he's saying? For that moment. I'm going to give you what you need for that moment. I'm going to give you what's equal to the task. The strength, the wisdom, the words to say. Everything, the courage. Everything that you feel so inadequate about in yourself. Because it's me, really, that's being persecuted. And in that moment, I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom. And the Lord will provide that for us. It will be sufficient for the moment. The Bible says when the enemy uh, comes against us like a flood, that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, will raise up a standard against him. When the enemy rushes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against that enemy. God will do that. He's very faithful. He's faithful to his own. He's faithful to the end. He's faithful when we feel weak and pathetic and not at all up to the challenge of being persecuted for righteousness sake and and giving evidence of the risen Lord. And we feel very uh, unprepared or inadequate for that moment. God says, I'll give you wisdom, a mouth and wisdom for that moment. Uh, There was a, a reformer named John Huss and he believed that like we do, that the scriptures were the the uh, infallible and supreme authority for all matters. Yeah. The Bible itself was that. He was he died at the stake for that belief on his 40, 42nd birthday in Constance, Germany, and he he was given one last moment, one last opportunity to renounce his faith and to spare his life from the stake. And he said, what I preach with my lips, I will seal with my blood. And that was the last word this man ever spoke. And I think about people like that. And I think about this scripture. The Lord says, I will give thee a mouth and wisdom for that moment. He was a human being. I'm sure there was a fear, a natural fear. And maybe the Lord just quenched that fear really quick and gave this boldness that rose up. You understand what I'm saying? It's an amazing thing. And God will give us what we need for that time. He'll give us the mouth that we need and the words to say and the wisdom that we need for that time. Keep your, uh, well, you don't have to keep your spot there. Let's all turn to Exodus chapter 4. 
verse 10. Now we know this is where the Lord's appearing to Moses at the burning bush. And he's about to call the shepherd. At that point, he's a shepherd, okay, and been one for 40 years. He's about to call him to be the deliverer of his people, Israel. And Moses is making basically excuses. I'm not making fun because I probably have done worse than this myself with the Lord. But he's making excuses why it can't be him to be the lead, to lead the people out. Exodus 4.10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since, hast thou, that thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue. And a lot of people think that maybe he actually stuttered, that that's actually what he's talking about. He really might, maybe had a speech impediment. But even, even if not, he's saying, I'm not a good speaker. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb and deaf, or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. He says, you go, and I'm going to be with your mouth. He's going to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that time in a worldly sense. Biggest empire in the world, and the Pharaoh of that, that empire. And he's saying, the Lord says, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you the words to say, I'll be with your mouth. And I want to just read this myself from 1 Corinthians 3. And Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We have to remember that. I pray that all the time. I feel inadequate for this or that or the other. Is there anything in life you feel inadequate for? Probably so. Uh, whether it's raising a child or, or whatever it may be. We feel inadequate to teach a Sunday school class or, or whatever it may be. Our sufficiency is of God. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have an all-sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. All-sufficiency in all things and every good work. It's real inclusive. There are no exceptions to that. God is able to make us abound in those things where we feel inadequate where we feel it's beyond us. And certainly a persecution that would come from the world, that would be something that I would put in that category. I would feel inadequate. I don't want that. I don't, I don't look forward to that. I, I don't know what it would be like when that moment happens. We've all probably thought things like that before. But God is saying, I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom, and it will measure up for the, for the moment. It will measure up for the moment. I don't want to read two more scriptures before we move on. This is similar, but I want to say it. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it's not you that speaks, but the Spirit of your Father which speaks in you. So it's becoming more clear. Don't worry about it. Okay? It's not even you that's talking. It's going to be the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, speaking through you similar in Luke chapter 12 and when they bring you up into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers take ye no thought how or what ye shall answer or what ye shall say for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye shall say this is comforting to me Amen. and again I'm not sure why exactly the Lord has this this message for this morning but I believe he does he's going to give us what we need and a lot of people, y'all, I just want to throw this in here. A lot of people may actually use those passages about don't premeditate, don't think ahead of time what you're going to say. The Lord will give it to you. Some people use that as an excuse not to prepare for Sunday school or, or church. Honestly, I've heard people that I know that have said that. I, think, I don't at all believe that that's what's being taught there. If you know you're teaching Sunday school next Sunday, study and get ready, Okay. If you know you're preaching, you're going to the prisons or whatever, however much time you have, you might be thrown into something where you didn't have time to prepare. And I believe God will be faithful if it's actually the Lord's will. He will give you what you need. I've had that happen where I've been called upon to preach at, at the last minute. And I've seen the faithfulness of the Lord to do that. Okay? But that's not the same as using those scriptures that we read and saying, okay, I'm just not going to prepare. You know, and somehow we think it's more spiritual or relying on the Lord. But he's already told me to study. You know, Amen. he's already told me to prepare. 
And if I'm given a week, then prepare for a week. You know what I mean? Off and on. If you're given two weeks, then you know about it for two weeks. Take your time to study however much time you need. If you're given five minutes, then you fall on your knees before the Lord. And you lift your hands and you say, God, I've got to preach in five minutes. Would you please help me? And guess what he'll do? He'll help you. I know it. And some of you might, might have had it. I know the Lord's done that for me in the past. So I'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. We'll read 5 through 8. Now think about what we're reading about this. Turning to us for a test, an occasion for testimony. The Lord is going to give us a mouth and wisdom. And we're going to read this. 1 Corinthians 1, 5. That in everything you are enriched by Him, by the Lord. He's enriching us in everything. How? In all utterance and in all knowledge. Utterance would be our speech. The things that we say, the things we don't say. When it's time to be quiet, when it's time to talk, knowing the right thing to say and when to say it. God enriches us with all of that. With all uh, utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you or it was established in you. The testimony of Jesus Christ is established in the life of his people. Day by day, day by day, in good times and bad times, and when everything's going great and when things are going really rough, when you're by yourself, when you're around a bunch of people and rubbing you know, elbows with people, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanted to point this out, that the... He'll give us that utterance and knowledge. We're enriched, he says. He enriches us in all these things that we have need of so that all the sufficiency of everything we need is in the Lord. And specifically, he establishes or confirms, that's what the word confirm means, the testimony of the Lord in us. And because the testimony of the Lord is established in us, it says in verse 8, and he also is going to establish us unto the end that we may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of Christ is established in us, and Christ himself takes us and establishes us blameless and brings us all the way to the end. Like John Huss, who I just quoted, he was, he was, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in him all the way through the end, right? End of his earthly life. What I've, what I've taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. That was the last words the man spoke. And so... We see the testimony of Christ in him, and we also see Christ keeping him, keeping him all the way to the end. God is faithful, and so he, he's going to do that for us as well. And the third thing, the first was when we're persecuted for, for his name's sake, God gives it as an opportunity for a testimony for us. It's a given. Okay, Amber, this is an opportunity for you to testify of the Lord in this circumstance. Number two, he will give us the wisdom and the mouth and the wisdom that we need for that moment. And the third thing is, he says, which your enemies shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. I love that. Which your enemies will not be able to gainsay nor resist. First of all, the Bible tells us we have an enemy. Okay? If we have, if you as a follower of Jesus Christ have an enemy, then understand this, and I need to understand it too, that we have, the, the Lord and I have a common enemy. Because we know that from the Bible. It's not just my enemy for the faith. Saul was, Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus when he's blinded and knocked off his horse. He says he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? Well, I'm going to persecute Christians. I'm going to persecute, no, you're persecuting me. Guess what? If somebody's persecuting Reynolds, he's persecuting the Lord. Amen. That persecutor is persecuting the Lord. We do have an adversary, the devil, the roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says, whom resists steadfastly. How? In the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We have a common enemy with the Lord. I'm glad that the Lord is, got, has my back, so to speak, and my front and all around me and gives me the words and the wisdom and the knowledge and the mouth for that moment. So they're not just coming against me. 
they're coming against the Lord. Remember that. That will give us great comfort. There's somebody right now on this planet, many people, in a prison right now in some country for their testimony of Jesus. Right now while we're having church. They might be cold and shivering on a concrete cell right now where the Lord is with them. And there's a fellowship that they're having with the Lord in that experience and in that moment. The fellowship of his suffer suffering, his suffering. It's like they're suffering the same a measure, of a little bit of the measure of the suffering of Christ in this world. But there's also a fellowship in that moment that they have that we wouldn't have in another moment. When God blesses you with a Christmas bonus and a huge paycheck and everything's going great, we praise God for that. But in a moment of suffering for his name's sake, there's a fellowship that's known there that we wouldn't have any other time. And the Lord is with us. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it says that our enemies in that moment, with the mouth that he gives us and the wisdom that he gives us in that moment, that those adversaries who are persecuting us won't be able to gainsay or resist nor resist. And that's simply, those two words almost mean that exact same thing. I'm going to give you the definitions of both of them together. They won't be able to refute your mouth and your wisdom. They won't be able to deny, stand against, withstand or oppose the mouth and the wisdom that the Lord gives us in that moment. God is able to give it to us. And it's from His Spirit. I want you to look at, we're going to look at a couple more examples here. In Acts chapter 6, Now, here's Stephen. Stephen is not one of the 12 apostles. He's not one of the, the leaders or elders in the church at Jerusalem. But he is one that's filled with faith and wisdom in the Holy Ghost. He is one of the men that's, that's selected to, to sort of be deacons and ministers in the church, to minister to the people. And here we see Stephen in Acts 6. We're going to read 8 through 10. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of, the, of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So guess what? He's doing miracles. The Holy Spirit's upon him, and he's filled with faith, and he's doing miracles, testifying of the Lord. He's got a persecution that comes against him. Verse 11, I mean 10, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit, by which he spake. And so what they had to do with Stephen is they had to get, they had to, uh, get a motley uh, uh, mob and stir him up and say, hey, this guy's just, you know, blaspheming God or disputing the law of Moses or whatever and, get, and put, put a bunch of false charges against him and bring a mob against him to stone him. But it says that he's, he's filled with the Holy Ghost and as he's ministering, he's ministering in the name of the Lord. In verse 15, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. All right? I want to skip ahead to chapter 7 because all of chapter uh, 7, he's preaching this sermon. He's brought before the council. He's being persecuted. He turns for a testimony. He, he preaches all of chapter 7. is a long sermon, a wonderful sermon that Stephen preaches, bringing it right up to Jesus. You know, Jewish law and so forth, all, all the way up to the Lord and His crucifixion and resurrection. Chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Ghost, goes, see, they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a difference. It makes a difference. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked on up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. They didn't see that. He saw that. He looked up into heaven. Remember the Lord Jesus told Nathaniel, you're going to see that heaven's open and the Son of angels of God sending and descending. And, and uh, Stephen's able to see that and, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God. When they heard this, they just gnashed on with their teeth. They stopped their ears. They ran on him and they began to stone him. And it says uh, in verse 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. This is as stones are hitting him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
And I would simply ask myself this question. When the Lord says, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which they shall not be able to uh, gainsay nor resist. And I thought, how could anybody resist that right there? With Stephen, what could you say against that? Lord, forgive them. Bam, stones are hitting him. He's preaching Christ to him. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. They've already seen him do the miracles and signs and wonders. What could they bring against that? A stone? You understand what I'm saying? They stoned him. He looked up and fell asleep. I don't even think he... That's my opinion that the Lord spared him maybe of a lot of the, the agony of that moment. But even in that moment, he's saying, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. What could you do about it? How could you refute that? You understand what I'm saying? They won't be able to gainsay nor resist. How could you stand against that? You could stand against it with stones or a bullet or something else. You can't really stand against that. Because that's not natural. That's not natural to pray like Jesus did, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's going to give us what we need is going to turn for a testimony. He's going to give us a mouth and wisdom for that moment, okay? And it's a, his miracles testify. Christ in us testifies. It's all a testimony of the Lord. How we act, how we react when we're persecuted, how we love. All of that is hugely important. I know you've, you've probably heard Brother Clinton say it, or somebody quote him saying, it, well, I want to get so close to Jesus that when I'm and so filled with this spirit that when I'm pressed in a corner or when I'm pressed, all that comes out is Jesus. I'm so filled with the Lord that when I'm pressed, Stephen was getting pressed right here. What came back out of him was the Lord. It wasn't self-defense. It wasn't, uh, you just don't, y'all are a bunch of, you know, heathens or whatever. It was, it was the Lord that came back out of him. The miracles testify of the Lord. We see it all through the Bible. I want to look at another example, y'all. I want to use Peter and John, for example. They went through a very similar thing. They weren't martyred early in their lives, Christian lives like Stephen was, but they were both uh, martyred. John was banished to an island of Patmos. But look at it, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 5. Now, in, in this, what's just taken place is they healed the lame man at the temple, right? He had been lame all his life and laid at the gate of the temple. They healed him in the name of Jesus because the Lord wanted to use them that day to do that. A crowd gathered because they all knew the lame man. They knew something was, and he was leaping and shouting and praising God. And he had just been lame one second before. So a big crowd gathers. They preach Christ. Don't look at us as though we're something special. This man's standing here whole because Jesus whom you crucified has, has healed him. And... 5,000 people got saved. And let's pick up here in, in Acts 4, verse 5. We'll read a good bit of this. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, that's John and Peter, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, how was he? What state was he in? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. All right, let's skip down to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And then they make this, this little plan. Okay? There's this little plan. And they say at the end of verse 16, uh, this notable miracle has been done and we cannot deny it. What are they saying? They're being, they're being brought up and they're being persecuted. And they're being questioned. And we know these are blue-collar guys. They're ignorant and unlearned men. They're not educated like we are. And yet it says a notable miracle has been done. Even the adversaries were saying we can't deny this. So let, let's do this. Let's, let's just command them not to preach anymore. Verse 18, in the name of Jesus. 
So they call them together. They command them not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And they, they turn them loose, basically. And they threatened them in verse 21. They let them go and said, make sure that you don't preach in his name anymore. I think what, what's interesting about this is that they don't, didn't just go and fret. All right, we've been turned loose. We'll never do that again. You know what I mean? We're going to be more careful next time. That's not what they did. They didn't fret and say, well, we need, we need to plan a speech or we need to go to the city council or we need to do something. They, was, they said they went to their own company. They went to the other believers. And that's what the rest of the chapter talks about. And I want to pick up in verse 27. And of a truth against thy hope for... This is their prayer with the, the believers. Against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel were gathered together for to do what serve the hand uh, counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. So they didn't, they weren't, I'm not saying that there was no fear. I'm saying they weren't overcome by fear to the point where they shut up. They weren't overcome by fear to the point where they stopped. The mission and the calling is to go into all the world, period. I'll send you forth the sheep in the midst of wolves. This is what it's going to be like, okay? But the calling doesn't change. I'm going to be with you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the mouth and the wisdom to speak. And God answered them. And, and he says, and the place, verse 31, and when they had prayed, this place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Uh, this is important to understand. God's answer to their prayer was the bat was the filling of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. That was his answer. They prayed, give us boldness, that with all boldness we may preach your word and grant us to do signs and wonders, you know, through these hands, to glorify your holy child, Jesus Christ. When they had finished praying, the place where they were was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And guess what? And they all went and spoke the word, mm -hmm. word with boldness. Mm -hmm. So the threats of men were the threats of men. But Paul and John, Peter and John said we ought to obey God rather than men. But we need the Lord for this. So they called upon the Lord, and the Lord's answer was to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They were already baptized in the Holy Spirit, but here they were filled with a fresh filling. I think it's already Tori that said every, every spiritual crisis demands a new filling of the Spirit. We're getting ready to preach, testify, witness, pray for the sick, whatever it is. We need a fresh filling of His Spirit. And uh, he flows. It's a, it's a river that flows. And so we have to be filled. And it, it flows back out of us. So they're let go. And guess what? They go and they preach again. They're preaching again in the temple. And they find them. The, the Jewish council finds them and they put them in prison. And they said, we told you not to do that. They threw them in prison. Well, it says in chapter 5, verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, okay, so you got two things going. We told you not to. Bam. We told you not to. Throw them in prison. The angel says, look, guys, you know what you're supposed to do. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. This is chapter 5, verse 19. It brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak in the temple. Same place where you were. We just got arrested. Go right back there. to the Go speak to them all the words of this life. So he, the Lord just kept putting them back out there. You know, what do we do with these guys? We put them in prison. And they, the, this wasn't like, like even when uh, Paul and Silas got out at midnight and there was an earthquake and the prison doors flew open and they all came out. This was like they didn't even know how they got out. They, they, the, these temple guards were like saying, isn't that the guys that were just put in prison? And they went back and checked the prison. The prison doors were still shut and the guards were still standing right outside the door. But we didn't find them in prison. We found them in the temple preaching the word of God. It's just an amazing thing. Um, but God has given them the boldness. And the boldness to do it came by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's not by might, it's nor by power. And this time, 
they were brought again to the council. After they were found out of prison, they brought to the council again. This time they beat them and let them go. And they rejoiced that they were, they left rejoicing from their beatings because they were beat for his name's sake. And they say, we're counted worthy to be identified with Jesus over here. And they rejoiced. And, and uh, I'm just going to be uh, bringing this this thought to us. I, I had those three thoughts from it. But again, God's answer is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not our Christian education. I'm all for Christian education. I'm all for studying and learning and knowing. But the answer for that testimony, it means a witness. It shall turn to an occasion of testimony for you. It means a witness to give evidence. I can't give what I don't have. Peter and John said, we don't have any silver and gold to give the lame man and the poor man and the beggar man. But we do have, what we do have, we're going to give you. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they gave him healing in the name of Jesus. They could give what they had. And so to stand for the Lord in an ungodly world, y'all, in a world that doesn't know the Lord, it's going to take the power of, of the risen Christ in us and the power of his Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine when it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit, the Bible says. Just listen to this first. We have a couple more scriptures and we're going to close. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, the one he's talking about, in an earthen vessel. That's our bodies, our physical bodies. We have this treasure of Christ, the risen Lord, of his spirit, the spirit of the Lord, in us, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not not of us. And y'all, this is what I've, I've gathered for this. The way that we're to prepare for what's coming, this is not to be a a let's all be afraid sermon, okay? I do believe, without doubt, looking at the Bible, that we're living in that day of, I'm not saying the last of the last days, but we're towards the end of the last days. And maybe we are the last little generation, the last, you know what I mean, blip on the radar before the rapture and then goes into the tribulation. Well, if we are, we certainly are closer, 2,000 years closer than these apostles and Stephen were, all right? If we are, then the Bible tells us what it's going to be like. It's not going to be worldwide revival. There are going to be revivals, I believe, and great ones, but it's not going to character, it doesn't characterize the end times. The end times are characterized by falling away and deception and persecutions and wars and famines and rumors of wars and pestilence and and false Christ and false gospels and false prophets. And at the same time, running along with that can be genuine moves of God as well. I believe both can take place at the same time. All right. But the way to how do I prepare for that? The way we prepare is not to for me to sit down and write a speech. If I'm arrested by the Baton Rouge police, they kick this door and say it's not lawful for you all to do this. Or they come into your home when you're homeschooling your children in Christian education or something. The, the way to prepare is not to prepare a speech or something like that. The way to prepare is to draw close to Jesus. Draw close to the Lord now. Be filled with the Holy Ghost now. Learn His Word and walk in accordance to His Word and trust Him now. You understand what I'm saying? And the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. That's how I'm prepared. Not preparing a specific argument. It's, it's, I've sanctified the Lord in my heart. My heart, that to me means my heart is set apart for the Lord. It's His. It belongs to Him completely. And if I live that way day by day, then when the moment comes, I'm going to be ready to give an answer for every man that asks me or for the persecution. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior now, right? A couple more scriptures. I have two, two more that I'm going to turn to. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. 15 through 17. See then you, that you walk circumspectly, 
not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we're getting, we're understanding the times in which we live. And we're living accordingly. Since I get it and I understand it spiritually, the times I'm living, then the Bible tells me how to live in these times. I know it's simple. But in, in the next says he, verse, he says, Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is in context of what we need for this day in which we live. And y'all, the Lord said, when they bring you up before these councils and persecute you, not if, when they bring you, he says, settle it beforehand. Settle it, therefore, he says, in your hearts. And y'all, if it's not settled in our heart, then it's not settled. If it's just settled in our mind, it's not going to be sufficient for that moment. Settle it, therefore, in your heart, not to premeditate before what you're going to say. For it will be given you a mouth and wisdom in that moment which your adversaries will not be able to gainsay nor resist. It has to be settled in our hearts, y'all. The reality of God, this is real. When Stephen, when that moment came, I don't know if he woke up that day knowing that that was what his afternoon was going to turn out like. All right? But that's the way his afternoon or morning turned out. And so he was prepared just in his daily walk with God. And when the moment came, the Lord gave what was sufficient for that moment. And he will do that for us. Settle it in your hearts. God's going to be sufficient for that moment. And the last passage I want to read is from Jeremiah chapter 1. This is the Lord's calling this young prophet, Jeremiah. He's first calling him. We're going to read 4 through 10. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, set him apart, okay, and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put his hands, put forth his hand, and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. He'll overcome those arguments, okay? And we're just going to close with it like we saw with, uh, with Moses, all right? He didn't have the words to say, I don't speak well. The Lord says, no, it's me. Who made your mouth, Moses? Jeremiah, don't tell me you're just a child. I will be with your mouth. He reached out and touched his mouth, it says. And he gave, he says, I've ordained you. You're going to speak what I tell you to speak. You're going to do it. He's going to take a saved man and do that. Somebody that's already trusted in the Lord. And he's going to use us for those things. I want to close with this, this illustration. You may have heard it given before. But in 320 A.D., there was... There were 40 soldiers, all Christian, and it was unusual because they were the, the famous 12th Legion of the Roman Imperial Army, okay? But this band was all Christians, and they served together in the Roman Army. And there came a decree from uh, Licinius, who was the, the emperor at this time, that all the Christians and everybody in the empire had to offer sacrifices to these pagan gods. Everybody. That would include these 40 men that were believers. And so the captain tells them, hey, the, the emperor's given this, this decree and you're going to have to do it, offer sacrifices. And they replied, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. So it's the middle of the winter. And he, it's the middle of the night, and he marches all these 40 soldiers out onto a frozen lake and makes them strip down naked. So there's 40 Christian men. This is a true account. Strip, strip naked, standing on a frozen lake in the middle of the winter. 
because they wouldn't offer to these pagan gods. And he said they were given the choice to either die out there on the ice and freeze to death or renounce their faith and come on out. We'll get you good and warmed up over here. And they all huddled together out there trying to keep warm. And they're singing some song, the 40 Martyrs for Christ. They're singing it. And one by one, as the temperature fell, they began to fall. They began to drop and die one by one on the ice. At last, there's one left. 39 have dropped dead. And this one shuffles his way to the shore. He, he can't take it anymore. He renounces his faith. Mm. And the captain, who's been watching this whole thing, unbeknownst to anybody else, had secretly, in watching this, given his life to the Lord. Mm. And when this man shuffles off the ice, the captain goes on the ice. And he said, and the sun came up, there were 40 martyrs. And I just think about the testimony of the Lord in our lives, that he is able to do that. That's not a natural strength to do that. I would say I could never do that in a million years. But he said, don't fear. The, the key is to walk with the Lord now. Walk with him closely now. So when that moment comes, it's just he's right there and you've been walking with the Lord and all that's gone into you over the years will come back out of you, whatever he wants to. He'll give courage, he'll give boldness. I just think that's an amazing thing to watch 30 men die, nine men die and you say, I'm going out there to join them, you know. Um, the Lord can do that, y'all. He's worthy of that. And, and I just pray that he will do that. I pray we never have to face anything like that. But I'm simply saying the day in which we live, there's a measure of persecution. The word of God says it's going to get worse, not better. And we still can live with great joy knowing that our sufficiency is of, of the Lord. And so these altars are open. And I just want you to pray. Call upon the Lord. Ask Him for that boldness. Ask Him. His answer to these people was the filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him this morning to fill you and me with the fresh new filling. Ask God for boldness. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Maybe you haven't sanctified Him and set Him apart. Maybe we, maybe we have a divided heart this morning. And Lord, want, the Lord wants it to be sanctified and set apart for Himself.